Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. In Proverbs 10.12, Proverbs 10.12, hatred stirreth up strife, but love covereth all transgressions. And again, Proverbs 17.9, Proverbs 17.9, he that covereth the transgression seeketh love, but he that repeateth the matter separateth chief friends. So Joseph is covering a multitude of sins of his brothers when he says he's kidnapped. What were the multitude of sins that Joseph was covering? Let's list some of them. What were some of the sins of his brothers that Joseph was covering? Envy. Envy, right? What's the verse, the command? Thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not covet. Good. What else? Greed, greed, again, sort of envy like there. What else? The lies, the deceptions. What did they say? Whoa, we found this coat. I don't know. Do you know who this is? (laughs) Has a blood on it. I wonder how that got there. Oh, did you guys wash your hands? Okay, good. I don't know. (laughs) All right. Deception. Thou shalt not. Right, bear false witness. Right, exactly. Okay, what they want to do to him first? They did. What's that one? Thou shalt not murder. Right, shall not kill. Murder. Okay, so these are just some of the multitude of sins that Joseph is covering, the major ones. But Joseph's feelings of love for his brothers did not allow him to relate what really happened to him. That's what God wants for us. Have you ever noticed that when you're really mad before you do something, you kind of like have this pause? It's like a like a it's like a holy pause, you know? When when you're angry and you just have that moment of just before, you know, the the calm before the storm, you know, before you strike out in words and and how you you know you are wrong. That's God's pause. That's God's pause where He's saying, Would you stop and cover? Stop and cover. And Joseph did this. Joseph sought love for his brothers when he covered the multitude of their sins. Okay, great. It's a great thing to have a forgiving spirit. We all agree. Oh, it's the only remedy for bitterness, the destructive corrosion of bitterness. But how do you do it? How do you do it? That's the question. Yeah, I I gotta be forgiving. How do you do that? That's the big question. Well, Joseph shows. He shows how you do it. And when he was face-to-face with his brothers, who were the responsible ones for all of Joseph's great troubles in his life. And what Joseph said to them 10 years later, as we mentioned, we're standing in front of them, shows us the secret, the key 
And it's in Genesis 45.7, Genesis 45.7, same area as we were in before. Genesis 45.7, what Joseph said to them tells us the key of how to forgive. He says, and God sent me before you to preserve a posterity on the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So it was not you that sent me hither, but God. You get the emphasis? He says it twice. He hath made me a father, Pharaoh, Lord of all his house, ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. See, Joseph was able to forgive by seeing the bigger picture, the bigger picture. He looked, Joseph looked beyond the immediate to the ultimate. He looked beyond the so-called second causes and he, of what happened to him, and he saw God as the first cause. And that gave Joseph the ability to forgive and not be bitter. Bitterness is such a problem today. And the only escape from this self-destruction of bitterness is forgiveness. It's the only way. And none of us have suffered the pain that Joseph has suffered. None of us has suffered the pain that Joseph has suffered as his brothers. And in the same way, how could the Lord, how could the Lord Jesus say on the cross in Luke 23, 34, Luke 23, 34, then said Jesus, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. How could he do that? How could the Lord Jesus ask the forgiveness for the very men who mocked him, beat him, drove nails into his hands and his feet and suspended him on a cross to die a long, torturous death. How could he do that? Because of what he said. Same thing as Joseph. In John 5, 36, the Father hath sent me. 1 John 4, 14. 1 John 4, 14. And we have seen it to testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And the context, which is so important, that surrounds John 3, 16. It's so important when it says in John 3, 14, it says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him or believeth into him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave, think of that as sent, he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. There's only one way to forgive. There's just one way to forgive, and that's to see God sending. It's to, Now, some people do see God sending, and then they get mad at God. You know, <laughs> Holocaust, how could God have done that? No, because there's only one cause, and that's God. For Joseph, there were no second causes There was no second cause of the cruelty of his brothers. There was no second cause of the meanness of Potiphar's wife. There was only God as the first cause. There was only God sending him to Egypt. There was only God sending him to prison. And Joseph had to work really hard to see this. He had to work, this was not easy. This was not easy for Joseph. He had to work hard to get this situation in his mind. Why? Joseph did not have any dream that indicated to him he was gonna go down to Egypt. He was gonna be a prisoner in Egypt from a false accusation. He didn't have any dream. He didn't have any, he wasn't clued into that in advance. 
So it's hard for him to hold this view that God sent him to Egypt, but that's what he did. And for that matter, there's no second causes as to why the butler and the baker were sent to prison. It wasn't because they offended Pharaoh. They were sent to prison to meet Joseph. That's what happened. So Joseph goes on and he says, and here also, he says also, here also have I done nothing that they should put me into the dungeon. Here again, he's covering a multitude of sins. Who's he covering the sins for here? Potiphar's wife, Potiphar, yeah, Potiphar's wife, right. And it's the multitude of Potiphar's wife's sins. What were the, some of the sins he was covering? Some of the multitude? The obvious one is, yeah, well, thou shalt not be loose. I mean, it was, uh, it was adultery. It was adultery, right? Should not commit adultery, okay? Exodus twenty fourteen. all right? What else about Potiphar's wife? More. False witness again, she's lying. Oh, you know what he did? You know, in Exodus twenty sixteen. thou shalt not bear false witness. And what did she fully expect was gonna have happen to Joseph? Right, okay. So, murder, again, Exodus twenty thirteen. Just clicking off the ones of the 10 commandments for some of them. These are just the major sins of Potiphar's wife. Probably haven't gotten them all. Now, okay, he interprets the dream of the butler. And uh, now we see he's interpreting the dream of the butler, and there's somebody else who's got a keen interest <laughs> in the interpretation of the butler's dream. In Genesis 40, verse 16, verse 16, verse 16. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good. He said unto Joseph, I also, I also was in my dream. And behold, I had three white baskets ahead. Can't you see the hope here? It's the chief baker. <laughs> okay. He, now, he's concerned because he didn't have quite the same type of dream as the chief butler. You know, but when he hears his interpretation comes out good, he assumes, Oh, he's, he gives good interpretations, this one. He's a good one. So those are really important words in verse 16. When the chief baker saw the interpretation was good, he said unto Joseph, I also was in my dream. See, that word also shows a lot of hope. He's got, oh, I'm going to get a good one too. Okay. I mean, it reminds me of a conversation I had last week when I was coming back from the airport and I had, took this lift cab back home. And my driver was a Cuban. You know, it's always great. You get in these situations, you hear this accent, you try to, like, it's the game. Guess the country, right? <laughs> so, uh, a Cuban, I thought, boy, I haven't seen one of them lately. Anyway, but he was a Cuban. He fled his country, and he studied religions, and he'd spoken to other people about heaven. And he asked me, is it going to be good for me when I die because I've lived a good life? And that's what he asked me. <laughs> okay? So he's kind of like the chief baker, <laughs> he hears about people going to heaven when they die. And for him, he's like the chief baker, you know, and he decides to ask about his situation. I also, you know. Okay, what Joseph was told by the chief baker about his dream, when Joseph was told that, Joseph was in a real dilemma. He was in a real dilemma. Why? On the one hand, we can imagine that he gives the interpretation to the chief butler, and there's like a party going on. Oh, this is a great outcome. Oh, everyone is so happy. Oh, how relieved we are. You're going to be restored. It's going to be like it never happened. And so when Joseph hears the chief baker's dream and realizes uh, it's not quite going to be that way, you know, 
And he says, the chief baker, you know, is, he realizes, oh, in, in three days, this guy is going to be killed. His body's going to be shamefully hung out in the open, and wild birds are going to pluck his head apart. Ooh. All right, so this is a dilemma for Joseph about whether or not he's going to tell the chief baker the horrible thing that's going to happen to him or not. And I mean, Joseph could have sat there and thought to himself, why spoil the good news? Why spoil the good time with the bad news right now? I mean, after all, there's nothing that the chief baker can do to stop his execution and his mutilation of his body. So why not just let it happen and just don't say anything? I mean, after all, the chief baker and the chief butler are good friends. And if I tell what's going to happen with the chief baker, it's going to spoil my popularity with the chief butler, right? And, and I need that popularity right now because he's my ticket out of prison. He's my ticket out of horrible prison. So, so why not just, not just don't tell the chief baker what's going to happen to him? I mean, you could just see how popular Joel Olstein is, <laughs> okay? I mean, he's filling a sports arena with tens of thousands of people as he's preaching the butler sermon, right? And why should Joel Olstein spoil his popularity by preaching the baker sermon? And there's Joseph in verse 16, and he's being asked by the chief butler for an, an also sermon. Would you just give me an also sermon? And there I was in the lift cab, asked, you know, for an uh, also go to heaven message, you know, for this Cuban man's good life. But following Joseph, I told him that if he was relying on his good life to get into heaven, he was following the way that seemed right unto a man, but the end thereof put him right down the middle of the road to hell. Very popular message. So here again, we see a window into the heart of Joseph. We see a window as to who Joseph was. Because without hesitation, Joseph tells the chief baker the true interpretation of his dream. He has no concerns about the consequences of him telling the truth. This again shows this beautiful childlike spirit of Joseph. He just innocently tells the truth without any concern about the consequences. Can you think of another time in Joseph's life when he just told the truth without any concerns about the consequences and when it really cost him? Yeah, his dreams, his dreams. He just tells his dreams to his father and his brothers and that didn't go so well to, for him. As a matter of fact, it was because he did that that that's the reason why what happened to him. Because when he was coming and they saw him from a great way off, his brothers, when they were cast him in the pit, you remember what they said in Genesis 39, 37, 19? In Genesis 37, 19, they said, and they said one to another, behold, this dreamer cometh. And in verse 20, come now, therefore, let us slay him and cast him into some pit, and we will say some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. See, that was what was on their minds. That was what was on their tongues when they plotted out his murder, his dreams that he told them about. And we can imagine how after they cast him in the pit, they said, hey, dreamer boy, let's see how your dreams are gonna come out now. And all of these problems that Joseph's got now in his life, they all came because he was truthful, he was open, he was honest, he told about his dreams. He'd suffered terribly because he told about his dreams. So what's important to see about Joseph right now and he gives his truthful interpretation of the baker's dream, is that he didn't change from what, because of what happened to him. He saw when the chief baker told him his dreams, it was a, he was a man of sincerity, Joseph was, and he wanted to know 
what his dreams meant. So he told them. And Joseph was also himself promising to tell the dreams to them. And so Joseph saw that God was revealing the dreams to him, both of what the dreams meant. And this is what drove Joseph, that God had revealed this to him. And so he drove him to tell the baker what his dream meant. And even if it sent both of them into an angry depression over what's going to happen, and it made the chief butler angry with them, and it was his only way he was going to get out of prison, that's okay. He didn't say, Joseph did not say, I learned my lesson about being so open and telling the truth. I'm not going to do that again and lose friends. See, all Joseph saw was that God revealed this to him. God revealed the meaning of the chief baker's dream to him. He had no other choice but to tell the chief baker what was going to happen to him and not worry about where the chips were going to fall for him. So seeing Joseph continue in this childlike, truthful openness, that's a challenge to us. It's a challenge to us because like Joseph, we have been shown in the Bible that the lost will land in hell. No question about it. John 14, 6, the Lord Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father. And we've been shown in the Bible just some, just a little of the horrors of what an eternal existence in hell means. And so like Joseph, we're gonna suffer the loss of friends when we truthfully tell the lost that they're gonna end in eternity of hell unless they turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, which is God's will. But we gotta follow Joseph. We gotta tell him. Now, the Apostle Paul, he was in the same situation as Joseph. He's in the same situation as you and I, with the choice of telling everything that God has said about both heaven and hell. And like Joseph, Paul made his decision in Acts 20, 26. In Acts 20, 26, it says, wherefore I take you to record this day, that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. So what's Paul saying here? He's expressing his desire to be innocent from people be lost in hell. The message of the gospel is not just that part of John 3.16 that says, have everlasting life. That's not the whole gospel. The message of the gospel is also the should not perish part of John 3.16. The message of the gospel is not just to receive the Lord Jesus Christ and to go to heaven. The message of the gospel is also a warning to not receive the Lord Jesus Christ and end in hell. And Paul was very concerned about not leaving that essential part of the gospel out when he said in Acts 20.26, Acts 20.26, wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. He, Paul viewed himself as innocent, like Joseph with a childlike spirit, if his hearers should be lost because he told them about the dangers of hell, if they rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. This is unlike John Hagee. John Hagee, who in a conference I was at, and we were at, with an important rabbi, and when he said that Jewish people did not have to receive the Lord Jesus Christ to go to heaven because they were born the children of Abraham. And when Paul used that word shunned, see, that's what John Hagee was doing. He was shunning. When he uses the word shun, it's a very interesting word. It means to disguise, to disguise. What Paul meant was that he didn't keep the truth back. He didn't disguise the truth because he was afraid or he wanted to maintain his popularity. But, you know, Paul did not, to declare, Paul did not view himself like a chef who was preparing the gospel like food 
And then he's prepared the gospel like food. And then as he's going to bring it out to the guests, he tastes it first. And he says, oh, no, I got to change it a little bit. And he's a little bit of this, leaves a little bit of that. So they, so they will enjoy it. He didn't see himself there. Not shun means to not hold back telling the gospel warning about hell from being uh, because he was afraid of the consequences that were going to happen to him. It means he didn't disguise the truth about the warning of hell. Like John Stott, who taught that the lost do not suffer for eternity in hell, but that the lost are just annihilated when they die and they cease to exist. That's shunning. Not shunning to declare the whole counsel of God means to not keep the open view of the gospel warning about hell. Not shunning means to not avoid the subject altogether because of the fear of offending someone. Not shunning means to give gospel warning about hell a little importance so that it kind of gets lost in the other points. Not shunning means to not negate the gospel warning about hell by just entangling it with all kinds of of strange terms like purgatory, like purgatory. Not shunning means to not cloud up the gospel warning about hell by describing it abstractly so it can't be understood. You know how clear it was when in Israel when they called the hell Gehenna? Gehenna is a valley outside of Jerusalem. That's where all the human waste was dumped. That's where there was like a continual burning a pit of refuse was going on there. It was very clear, very understandable. Not shunning means to not avoid the gospel subject to hell because you're afraid you're going to offend some donors. It's important that in Acts 20, 27, that what is not shunned is called all the counsel of God. The word all, it refers to the complete gospel message, which contains the warning about hell and the perishing in this eternal state of suffering in hell, and the escape by believing into the Lord Jesus Christ. To call what is not shunned from being declared the counsel of God is to say, it's God's message. It's God's counsel. Joseph was just a messenger. He's bringing the message to the chief baker. The messenger is not supposed to open the letter with an eraser and a pencil and change it. You know, evaluate it there. He said, no, I don't think he's going to like that. No, the messenger just delivers the message. And that's what Paul said when he said in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, 1 Corinthians 15, 3, I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture. When Paul said, I delivered to you what I also received, it could mean that he said, that he was saying, I also received the Lord Jesus Christ as my own personal savior. But it also could have meant I delivered the message of the gospel just as I received it from the Lord. I didn't change it. I just delivered it. I didn't open the envelope and change the message. I delivered that what I also received. That's the beauty of Joseph here. The beauty of Joseph, he saw the interpretations as God's property that he had no right to water down or change. And he didn't change it. And that's our challenge with the gospel. It's God's property and we're just to deliver it its entirety so that people can be saved from their sins. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for Joseph and for the life that he lived and for recording it for us. Help us, Lord, to follow him in his sweet, childlike innocence and faithfulness to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.com.
friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live, located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship.